I know that um, probably at times I sound like a broken record, but I get, I get a lot of these, and this was another special one, and, and a particular realization, and it's something that I want you to hear, I want you to connect to. Uh, Dave mentioned, I think, Andrea in, I, I'm assuming I know who that is in Brazil, but here's, here's a note I got this week. Shalom, Rabbi Damien. Thank you so much. My wife and I live in a small town in Sao Paulo, Brazil. We are looking for a Messianic synagogue to participate in the teachings during Shabbat. We found Shalom Macon through YouTube. Since then, we haven't missed a Shabbat with Shalom Macon. We're a family of four people, my wife and two daughters, Priscilla and Aileen or Aline, I'm not sure. My daughters don't speak English yet. My parents are pastors of a Christian church. However, we are descendants of a Jewish family. My grandfather and grandmother converted to Christianity about 50 years ago. We didn't have Messianic synagogues here in the region at that time. I believe that because of that, they became Christians and then pastors. My great-grandfather and great-grandmother fled Europe because of the risk to their lives at that time. They settled down here in Brazil, and we are still here today. Thank you for having us in Shalom Macon. We are very happy. And that, that for me, was a breakthrough of sorts related um, to our, our work and, and particularly to our funding and our future plans and year ends. And, you know, for most people in ministry, almost all, me included sometimes, there's always a strange hesitation to talk about money and, and asking for money, and I feel that. But, you know, when I read this, this hit me like a ton of bricks. We found Shalom Macon through YouTube. Since then, we haven't missed a Shabbat with Shalom Macon. Now, this is Brazil. This is Brazil. Descendants of European Jewish immigrants looking for a Messianic synagogue to participate in. They're here with us, hopefully right now. Hi, Sousas, hopefully. That's Glauber and what I have. They are here, right? Okay, cool. So for me, for me, you have done that. That's the thing. You have made that possible by being faithful givers to Shalom Macon and the support. And for, for me, and, and by the way, the, the participation with people from all around the world, 12 countries and all over the United States that support the work here have already done something for the year-end campaign, signed up and participating in this recurring uh, recurring building campaign that we're just getting started. It's amazing. But, but what I realize is for me to be afraid or hesitant, hesitant to ask you to participate in what we're building is just dumb. It's dumb for me to be hesitant about that because I don't know all that God has planned or what we'll do, but I know that we've been faithful to this point to follow his lead. And that's what we're doing. So when I read Glauber's message, I realized, here's what we're doing, and here's what we're not doing, okay? I'm not going to timidly, sheepishly move forward asking, hey, um, do you think maybe you could, like, check down in the couch cushions, or maybe, you know, in your change drawer, or maybe throw, throw a few dollars toward, toward the work? We're, we're really hoping something good comes. Now, something good is coming, 
It's already happening. Something good is happening every week and through Shalom at Home and all these things. And because of you, because of your support, because of what you do, stuff like reaching the Sousas and Quentin in South Africa who sent us a, 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 a gift for the year end. South Africa, that's a long way off. But it's because of what we are doing together. The Kinches, as I said, 12 countries and you know, all this. So, so we're not going to be sheepish or timid about that. We are going to move forward confidently. I'll ask you to help build the financial resources so we can build the community locally for Macon, for Georgia, and for disciples all over the world. Now that sounds dramatic. Glauber Souza's message confirms it is not dramatic because it is happening. And people in Brazil, a family of Jewish immigrants, Holocaust fleers who settled there are now with us every week and part of the family. That's, to me, pretty dramatic. And I think it's incredible. And so I believe that right before, this isn't the teaching, don't worry, I'm not going to spend the next time talking about money, but I'm going to talk about humility, actually. But before I do that, I'm going to humbly ask, as we come to the last week of 2022, if you're able, make a donation a year into the work of Shalom Macon so we can do more of what we're doing, so that we can strengthen disciples in God, in Messiah, through a Messianic Jewish understanding. Now listen, if you, if you are watching this, if you're listening to this, we have a podcast. Yeah, there is a podcast beyond YouTube. If you get something out of what we do, if there's something valuable here, consider it and like... $18 a month, that's a great number. That means life in Chai, in Hebrew. Chai, the number 18 is life. Consider setting up something. There's a QR code that you can do, and you can take a picture of it, and it takes you to the place. There's also a link, which will shalommakin.org forward slash give. Shalommakin.org forward slash give. Consider becoming a, a, a supporter of this work, because really... We're just getting started. I'm asking that confidently, not in timidity, because I believe that. There's a place you can set up recurring giving, if that's something that you want to do as well, right down there on the bottom. So we have um, a way to make that easy for you. Now, everyone who's blessed by what we do, thank you. Thank you. Your prayers are valuable, everything. My commitment to you is that we will keep our ear to heaven and our hand to the plow. And we will not look back because he who does that is not fit for the kingdom of heaven. So I wanted to say that for, before we go forward. And the journey forward is not always easy. As a matter of fact, this is what the journey forward looks like for a lot of people. Blake, show me this, uh, show me this other picture I have for you. Okay. Can anyone relate to this uh, picture? Well, I'll tell you somebody who definitely can relate to that picture, and his name is Yosef. His name is Joseph, and he is in our Torah portions right now. And we missed the intro to his story last week, but I can summarize it for you real quick. You ready? Joseph is the favorite of his dad. He ascends to a position of prominence. His dad loves him most. His brothers hate him. 
They want to kill him, but they say, let's not kill him. Let's trade him into slavery. Let's throw him into a pit. So he ascends, and then he does what? Descends into the literal pit. He gets picked up out of that pit, goes to Egypt, sold into slavery, but there ascends, he rises to second command in Potiphar's house. He ascends to this position of prominence. Now, Joseph is a stud, or as the Bible states, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Translation, stud. And Mrs. Potiphar liked what she saw. And she said, hey, Joseph, let's connect Joseph said, no, let's not connect. And she said, oh, yeah? Accused him of rape. Joseph, who had ascended yet again, descends further down, this time into the pit of prison, a darker pit. But there again, what happens? Joseph rises to prominence. He becomes basically in command. He's running the jail. He makes some friends. He interprets some dreams. Cupbearer, you'll live. Baker, not so good. Remember me, he says to the cupbearer, when you get in front of Pharaoh, remember what I've done for you. Please help me. I shouldn't be here. And of course, the dreams that Joseph interprets come true. The cupbearer lives. He's saved. He's restored to his position. And last week's Torah portion, which I just summarized, ends like this. And the chief of the drink stewards did not remember Joseph and he forgot him. And that is the worst yet. The hope for ascent, Joseph doing the right thing, taking action, helping. No, forgotten. The furthest descent, stuck in prison for two more years. And that's where it ends. And this week, the Torah portion picks up with, and it was at the end of the two years time. Man, what a crappy life. Huh? And for a guy who had so much promise. Because if you'll remember, Joseph pretty much had it figured out, didn't he? Joseph had his dreams early on in the Torah portions. And everyone he said is going to bow down to me. Joseph's image, Blake, put that one back up there for me. Joseph's image, his life plan was the bike. Well, I don't know where Blake is, but anyway. Here he is. Travis, you can put it up. The image of the bike going to the checkered flag, that's Joseph's dream. And here's what he told everybody. Hey, please listen to this dream which I had. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaves stood up and also remained standing. And behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers really liked that one, didn't they? And then he had a second dream informed his brothers, behold, I've had yet another dream. And behold, the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. He told it to his father and his brothers and his father rebuked him. What is this dream you've had? Am I and your mother and your brothers actually going to come and bow down to the ground before you? But that was Joseph's plan. That was his understanding. But that is certainly not the way it goes initially. And again, the graphic. But there's an interesting consideration here that we're going to keep hearing in various portions. God was with him, it says. God was with him. 
Now, and the Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man, and he was the, in, the, in the house of his master, the Egyptian. The master saw that his Lord was with him. And then later, but the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the warden of the prison. And the warden of the prison did not supervise anything under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. So the, so the God of the universe is with Joseph in all this mess. Now, that would be hard to recognize, wouldn't it? If you're Joseph, because listen, if, if this is what it looks like when God is with me, that my brothers want to kill me, throw me in a pit, sell me as a slave, then I'm a, accused falsely, then I'm in prison. If that's what it looks like when God is with me, then maybe I'll give it a shot on my own. Because I, how much worse could it actually get, really? But the interesting thing is that Joseph was also with God. Because when Potiphar's wife accuses him, he says, how could I do this great evil and sin against God? In the prison, they say, we had a dream. No one can interpret it. And Joseph says, well, you know what? Interpretations belong to God, but tell it to me. So interestingly, we have this strange Proverbs 16.9 situation, which says, the mind of a person plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. You make plans. God directs your steps. That's a difficulty, actually. Because Joseph had a plan, and so did God. And despite all of the hellacious difficulties, Joseph held on, and ultimately, those roads did converge in the end. Here's a little Yiddish lesson for you. Man tracht und gat lacht. Say it, Dave. There we go. Perfect. Man tracht und gat lacht. It's an old adage meaning man plans and God laughs. Man plans and God laughs. Now, I might edit that just a little bit and say, I can't say it in Yiddish, man plans and God teaches. Man plans and God teaches. Because I don't think God or Joseph found too much funny about the situations in which Joseph found himself. However, I would submit to you that Joseph, despite all of his awesomeness, had things to learn. His brothers disliked him for a reason. He was cocky. He was not hesitant at all to tell them that they would be in a position of servitude. His own father rebuked him for his approach to that situation. Even when dealing with his his, um, I told you about the positive response to Potiphar's wife when she uh, was coming after him, but we still get a little sense of maybe a little bit of pride in Joseph when, she said, when he says to her, look with me here, my master, he doesn't concern himself with anything in the house. He's put me in charge of all that he owns. There is no one greater in this house than I, Joseph says. So apparently at this point, he hasn't really taken the old humble pie yet. 
In other words, I'm a pretty big deal, lady. And of course he does say, how could I sin against my master or God? But he could have said all that without saying the first part. He could have just said, I can't do that. I can't sin against God. He didn't have to, to do that. But Joseph had plans. He knew he was going somewhere. But apparently God needed Tim to take some detours. Because apparently, if God was with him, and it says he was, he orchestrated the ascents and the descents, the ups and the downs. Which allows me to... to Refer for, I don't know how many times in 14 years I've used this Hasidic adage, but I'll use it again because it's, there is no more appropriate, no more appropriate time than every descent is for the sake of a future ascent. That is a Hasidic teaching. Every descent is for the sake of a future ascent. What did Joseph need to learn? I don't know exactly. I don't know exactly but possibly humility, which servitude and imprisonment will certainly help you develop a sense of humility. That will happen. Possibly some stronger reliance on God. He was, he was clearly gifted, even down to his physical appearance. The wisdom of Solomon says, when a righteous man, that's Joseph, when a righteous man was sold, wisdom did not desert him, but delivered him from sin. Wisdom descended with him into the dungeon, and when he was in prison, she did not leave him until she brought him the scepter of a kingdom and authority over his masters. Wisdom, Joseph had wisdom. But he also, of course, needed to know that none of it was going to happen without God. And it's interesting to note his interpretation of dreams from his first one with his brothers and his dad to the other dreams that he interprets. When he tells the brothers these things, he doesn't say anything about God. He says, hey, guess what? Get ready to hit your knees, sheaf, because I'm going to be standing tall. But when the other Notice the way he approaches it. I already referenced it. When the cupbearer comes, he says, do interpretations not belong to God? When he goes before Pharaoh, Joseph answered Pharaoh, it has nothing to do with me. God will give Pharaoh an answer for his own good. And somewhere from the interpretation of dreams to his, or the telling dreams to his brothers, to these interpretations of, of Pharaoh's dreams, God is preparing him in the most important of lessons which he will need, and it is tied to humility, mercy, and forgiveness, which interestingly takes us right back to last week's lesson and the seemingly enigmatic, the weird placement of Tamar and Joseph, um, Tamar and Judah. You remember right in the middle of the story of, Tamar, of uh, Joseph, we find Tamar and Judah. And we learned, what did we learn? Tamar had humility. So did Judah, actually. It was sort of forced on him. But Tamar was the hero. She demonstrated her mercy toward Judah. Her plan was all messed up and disrupted. But she did not ruin Judah's life. She had him right where she wanted him. And she let him go, in essence. 
We talked about, that's weird, why is that there? It's a story of humility, it's a story about mercy and forgiveness, and it's a story and a lesson that Joseph really needed to know, I think. Not Tamar and Judah. He needed to learn mercy and forgiveness. And this week, listen, this week in Portion Miquetz, Joseph has the last laugh. His dreams, his dreams about his brothers, they've all come true. The brothers have made their way to Egypt. What are they doing? They're begging him, basically. They're bowing down, in essence, before their brother. It's actually, I mean, it's even better than the 17-year-old cocky Joseph might have imagined. It's even better. They're all there. He's got them. But multiple times we see Joseph for who he is. Chapter 42, it says, He turned from them and he wept. 43, he sees Benjamin and he weeps. Next week at the revealing, there is no anger from Joseph when he reveals himself to his brothers. He wept out loud, it says, and Pharaoh heard and Egypt heard. Joseph was humble and merciful, but this was the time for revenge. He had them for all that they had done to him. The slavery, for the prison, for the suffering, the missing out on real life for all these years. They had done that to him, but Joseph didn't see it that way. And again, getting ahead, this is next week's Parsha, but we see what his trouble has taught him. God was with him and he says to them, now don't be sad and let there be no anger in your eyes. In your eyes, they have a right to be angry. But he says, let there be no anger in your eyes because you sold me here. Because God sent me before you to preserve life. God sent me here. That is, that's a big acknowledgement to the people who hurt you so badly. But I firmly believe in all of Joseph's troubles, he did what the greatest people do. As he descended and as he stayed down, because sometimes the descent is not momentary. Sometimes the descent is for a while and you're down there. He stayed down and he learned the lessons on the way down and he remembered them and he applied them on the way up. He never forgot them. He did his part. Because, listen, it's great to say Every descent is for the sake of a future ascent. And we can say, yeah, man, that's, that's good. But the thing is, you need to add to that. Look for the lesson on the way down. When you're down, look for the lesson. Look for what God actually wants you to learn that he orchestrated a descent for you. Maybe you did by bad choices, but I'm talking about this situation where God is with you. Look for the lesson. Learn from your mistakes. God doesn't always give you visions and dreams and people to tell you everything. Sometimes you have to do it. Rabbi Sachs, I mean, you have a plan. You, you play a part, but Rabbi Sachs this week, he says, there's no achievement without effort. This is the first principle. God saved Noah from the flood, but he had to build the ark. God promised Abraham the land, but he had to buy the cave of Machpelah. 
God promised the Israelites the land, but they had to fight the battles. Joseph became a leader as he dreamed he would, but first he had to hone his practical and admin skills. Even when God tells us something, it will happen. It won't happen usually without your effort. There are difficult lessons that we learn as we traverse the path as part of the plan. We need those lessons to arrive at what should be a picture of that checkered flag up there. We need those lessons to hit the mark, to reach the goal, to succeed, because we need something that's called dishmaya, uh, siata dishmaya, the help of heaven. We need the humility to acknowledge that we are dependent on forces that are not under our control. They are under the control of God. He credited God, Joseph, for all of his successes. I believe probably later he did that. I don't know that when he was in the bottom of the bottom, he's again saying, thank you, God. Thank you, God. And that's not a requirement. But look for the lesson. Don't miss that. Out of his humility came mercy. And that mercy led to success. So there's your plan. Your plan, in our minds, always looks like the top image. That's what we imagine. I got a great thing. God's really given me the opportunity. I'm, I'm going to do something great, and I'm headed straight for it. I can tell you that almost nothing in life that is ever worth anything looks like that plan on the top. Almost nothing ever looks like that in life's great accomplishments. We descend to learn. We ascend stronger, more connected to God, more faithful, hopefully. And no one said that was easy. Just ask Joseph. It is the ultimate opportunity for the victim mentality. Joseph never does it. He never does it. That's the other lesson we should learn, but that's a different message. Don't be a victim. Don't be a victim. And I'll conclude Genesis with that, I think, but that's a little bit later. Just ask Joseph. Sometimes it's hard, but thousands of years later, thousands of years later, we read these ancient words, and they, they're, they're still speaking to us right now today. Some of you have difficult situations. Your plan isn't being realized doesn't really mean anything. Just ask Joseph. They speak to us. They inspire us. They challenge us to face challenges. And I say, embrace that. Embrace the difficulty of life. Embrace it. Now, I can't say that casually because, or condescendingly. I don't know everything that, that you guys are facing. You can't say to somebody who's terminally ill, hey man, Baruch Hashem, praise God for that. That's awesome. Or someone who's been a victim of abuse, hey, that, that's for the good, enjoy it. That's not what I'm saying at all. But in everything, look for a lesson so that the ascent is even more powerful. So whatever the difficulties are, I pray that Thousands of years later, 
these words still speak to you, and even in difficulty that they give you strength for the ascent that inevitably will come your way if God is with you and you are with God. Shabbat shalom. Let's stand up together.